Hello, welcome to the CityWire Funds Fanatic. I'm Gavin Lumsden, editor of Investment Trust Insider, and uh, I'm with Jeremy Gordon, editor of CityWire Funds Insider. Hi, Gavin. Um, hello. This is a first for us to uh, do a podcast together. It's for an end of year review. We're going to be looking at the events and issues from this year from the perspective of investment trusts and funds. So, Jeremy, 2022 has been a really difficult year, what with the war in Ukraine, political instability and rampant inflation knocking a wide range of markets and asset classes. Um, You've been looking at the performance of different assets in both dollar uh, and sterling. How bad does it look? Are there any bright spots? Well, this is this is one of the interesting things. Um, I think, you know, just how, you know, no one's saying it's been an easy year in markets, but just how bad it's been does depend a bit on where you are. And actually, due to the pound's weakness for sterling-based investors, the picture looks a bit better. So, for example, uh, global equities, I think we look at the MSCI world here, uh, down 14.5% uh, this year or the first 11 months of this year to the end of November. Uh, for those based in America. But actually, uh, for, for most of our, our listeners based in the UK, investing in sterling, down just 3%. Uh, and I think one of the other things to note or, or is uh, the uh, FTSE has finally had a relatively better year, albeit mm-hmm. in absolute terms. It doesn't sound that great, but c- compared to global markets, uh, up 1.8%. Uh, perhaps a caveat there is that's driven quite a lot by the... Um, some of the big resources, stocks in the FTSE 100, miners, BP Shell, which have been very strong performers. And unfortunately, active managers often tend to underwrote those stocks. So the old-fashioned UK has kind of come good after, yeah, dismal few years. It has. The Brexit referendum. Um, so that's equities. Yes, oh, indeed. Other parts of the investment universe. Well, re- really, this has been the more extraordinary thing. What What's happened in bonds? Um, you know, we, we knew at the start of the year that interest rates were going to uh, go up. It sounds quite a long time ago now, but you know, I'm sure you'll remember uh, central bankers, including the uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, spent all of last year harping on about how inflation would be transitory. Uh, that seems very much not to be the case. It's well above 10% in the, in the UK now, I think. Uh, and uh, the effect of that, as interest rates ha- have, have risen, uh, as uh, inflation has remained high, has been pretty cruel for bonds. Uh, so looking at uh, gilts, uh, so UK government bonds, down an extraordinary 20.6% that is extraordinary. this year. I mean, these are meant to be safe assets. I knew it was bad, but that is... But perhaps even even, even more uh, extraordinary, really, is, uh, of course, uh, the UK government also issues inflation-linked gilts, uh, better known as linkers. Uh, you, you, you might think uh, that these would be a good place to be, uh, given inflation's consistently overshot expectations. Actually, it's been quite the reverse. Uh, the UK index-linked bond sector is down nearly 31%. Well, that is amazing. So maybe we have touched on this uh, before, I think, in both our podcasts and, and yes. where on the city are. Well, I think the very quick reason, you know, without certainly claiming to be an expert myself, is uh, it's a very long-dated index in the UK. And and basically, uh, you know, uh, as, as many of our listeners will know, the longer-dated bonds are, the more they're hurt by rising interest rates. And that has massively trumped uh, the inflation. So change link is a very interest rate sensitive. So it a is. lot of the fund managers, the funds that actually like to use them, have been going in at the shorter dated end. Indeed. To be less exposed to that huge impact from yes. the interest rates. Terrible. Okay. Um, anywhere else worth looking at? Well, I, I think I think maybe, um, a, as always, perhaps we can quickly pick out some some how some individual funds have done. Um, 
I mean, you know, th those uh, those figures at the index level mask maybe just how bad it's been for certain funds. Um, well, it's been a year of a huge growth sell-off, which has started indeed. at the end of last year, as you're saying, as people, the market really woke up to inflation in November of last year. That's right. And if you look at all the charts, that's when growth funds just start to, which have had an amazing run, mm. decade or so, really fell off a cliff. Yes, well, and maybe that's that a good on point. And on. It on. did, and maybe that's a good point to bring in. Uh, actually, an investment trust we both own, and lots of people in the UK own Scottish Mortgage, uh, which has very much been at the uh, forefront of, of that uh, sell-off. Absolutely. So, yeah, FTSE 100 uh, Investment Trust uh, are listed on the FTSE 100, but not investing there. Investing virtually everywhere else. Very um, bullish uh, growth stock picking. Investing in unquoted companies quoted companies but companies that they think the managers think are going to you know disrupt their markets and and be real long-term winners that's long term right. been a very successful strategy um but this year saw the founding fund manager james anderson uh leave um that was sort of well flagged up but it was an interesting in the year that he leaves um the shares are down 43 percent um the actual net value of the investments it holds overall the portfolio is down 37%. So, you know, a very tough year. seen those kind of uh, crashes in Scottish mortgage since the, the financial crisis of um, 2008, 2009. And yeah, the shares that used to trade at a small premium above uh, the asset value are now trading 7.5% discount below. That's this is of um, 6th of December. Mm. So, yeah, that 43% share price slump versus an 8% decline in sterling, as you said. Of the MCI world, so a terrible year. Yeah, and remind us who we've got in place there now, Gavin, in terms of the managers without James Anderson. So, uh, co-manager Tom Slater has been in place for a long time. Yeah, um, very experienced. And his uh, is in, in charge, and he's got uh, Lawrence Burns uh, as a co-manager who joined, I think, last year uh, in in the run-up to James Anderson's departure. So, yeah, two two managers, and they've been reducing China. Um, the buybacks are going on. There's an area of concern. So one of the things that the Scottish Mortgage is kind of pioneered is a global equities fund, um, but it pioneered the use of uh, investing in private equity unquoted companies. So with fantastic results, fantastic results. But of course, these kinds of companies that invest in have been at the epicenter of kind of write downs and, and, and falls in values. So this kind of there was basically a bubble in late stage private equity companies preparing to come to the market and often floating. And there was huge valuations uh, up until the end of last year. And of course, all that began to unwind with the inflation scare and interest rates going up. I mean, one thing we learned this year is how sensitive, we talked about inflation-linked bonds. Yes. It's sensitive to interest rates, which seems ironic because interest rates go up to deal with inflation. But um, uh, growth stocks of the kind that Scottish Mortgage and other funds buy are incredibly sensitive to uh, interest rate rise. Indeed. So well, we'll come on to the outlook maybe sort of at or towards the end, but I mean, if interest rates, the hope is after such a hammering that um, if interest rates are, if the expectations start to level off, level off, then perhaps this um, horror show will will come to an end. But uh, yeah, Scottish Mortgage has been buying back its shares, um, and you know the private equity portion is a bit of a worry because they're basically at their thirty percent limit and they yes. can't invest anymore. And no, well uh, over it, I think. I think 32% when the okay. results, IMB results came out recently. 
30% cap. So it means they can't invest in any more unquoted. That's enough. Um, but, you know, structurally, it's a little uncomfortable because uh, obviously if the public equity side continues to fall, then, you know, that proportion in private equity will continue to rise and um, you know, create a bit of an imbalance. And as I understand it, they'd be limited from making follow-on investments, uh, which can be quite important in this space. That's right, exactly. So they wouldn't be able to support the companies that they still like. Um, so they could, they really need a, a, a rebound. Their investors <laughs> sorely need it. We, we want us. Yeah. We want it. So let's hope uh, 23 is a better year for Scottish Mortgage. Listen, I've been talking lots about Scottish Mortgage. That's just one investment trust. What about the funds? You did a printout of best and top performing open-ended funds do you want to does that, um, well that's right as always well, you know off, how did that play out with uh, the fun side of it uh, as always you know major caveats looking at one year performance but that's that's what we're here to do today mm -hmm. i mean i suppose some some names that instantly jump out on the on that growth sell-off theme is uh well one would be bailey gifford american um now this fund uh you know has sold off for very similar reasons to scottish mortgage in fact owns quite a lot of the same stocks um, and uh, was a fantastic pandemic performer. You know, it, it delivered more than 100% return for its investors in 2020. Uh, it was the best performing. It was the best performing. The investment trust was the best performing investment trust. So I imagine. And I think the open-ended fund uh, was the best performer uh, amongst open-ended funds available in the UK. Um, now, in respect, you know, people should never expect uh, that kind of return to... Uh, to be maintained, and it's been a it was a difficult year in 2021 for Bailey Gifford American, and it's been a difficult year again, down 48% at the end of November, so nearly halving. Uh, and on a similar note, while while we're at it, uh, there is um, Kathy Woods Arc Innovation ETF. There is a Mirror Fund available in Europe, uh, run by Nico, called the Nico uh, Asset Management Arc Disruptive Innovation Fund. That's down 54.5%. So very painful indeed. Um, I suppose we'll come on to a couple of other areas that have, have done badly. I mean, one that stands out uh, instantly and for obvious reasons are any funds with exposure to Russia, Eastern European shares, and that kind of thing. Uh, now, I think there'd be many, many more of these actually on this list, uh, except for the fact that trading in many of them has been suspended since the invasion. And so uh, effectively, we can't, we can't see how bad they've done. We, in fact, we don't really know how bad they've done. Because it was an extraordinary situation, basically. A uh, mm. whole market, Russia, was kind of cut off from international capitalism, from, from global markets. That's right. We're told that you cannot invest there. If you invest there, you'll be you know, punishing US, US sanctions, uh, and etc. So um, Russia, which was you know, an emerging or frontier market, has just been cut out. So what was the, So these funds, have any closed down or are they, just, are they still sort of nominally there, suspended? Well, fun, fun, funds are uh, starting to close down or announce closures, but um, they uh, they can't sell the shares. Uh, in fact, our one of our reporters, Jamie Colvin, did a very interesting story um, early in the autumn about uh, you know the extent to which uh, funds have been able to trade Russian stocks or not. Uh, basically, they had a bit, but 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 it was it was very difficult or. or even rather a grey area legally or ethically. And now I think, you know, they, they, they definitely can't. Um, and so fun, funds can announce closures, but, but actually, you know, they can't sell the assets yet. Uh, and what will happen when they are able to is also unclear, I think. So, uh, but basically people's money is still in these funds and, and largely the values are written down to zero. I mean, one fund at the top of this list, uh, Schroeder ISF Emerging Europe, uh, 
at least according to the you know the published fund price, it's down two thirds this year, sixty six point seven percent. And that is one fund I think we're just taking an interesting approach. It's it's effectively it's hived out its unsellable Russian assets into a separate fund, um, and so you know that's one that's one approach I think we could see more. Uh, J.P. Morgan uh, Emerging Europe actually uh, announced they're taking a similar move recently. Well, talking of J.P. Morgan, a kind of yeah anecdote or one uh, example from the investment tr- trust side of things. J.P. Morgan Russian Securities, which was the only London yes you know specialist Russian fund, um, not surprisingly, was the worst performer uh, of 2022. Shares down 89%. Um, so shocking stuff. Interestingly, though, you know, all that fall was in the run-up and then, of course, to the, in the outbreak of, of a war in Ukraine. Actually, since the um, last week of March, it's essentially been, been flat. So, uh, and there's been a change. The, 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 the company has decided to change its name and change its policy. Uh, it's become the JP Morgan Emerging Europe Middle East and Africa Securities uh, Trust. A bit of a mouthful, but you can see what it's doing there. Um, like one of its rivals, it's uh, regionalizing its approach and yeah. just being about Russia. Um, the other interesting thing about the performance is that, yeah, those shares are down 89%. But um, extraordinarily, the, the shares uh, trade at a 77% premium to the asset value, which I think means that, yeah, the holdings have been written down to zero, but um, investors think there is value there. And in fact, this move to change the name and change the remit did uh, cause some concern amongst its investors, those who had hung on, because they some there wasn't there was a small vote in favour, and um, there's a feeling that investors didn't want to see those holdings sold or got rid of because there is value there. Um, we shall see. But uh, an extraordinary event, an interesting last year. So we've had, we're, we're possibly in danger of um, highlighting uh, the, the the negatives. There's yes, there's indeed, plenty of them. But we're talking about Russia and the impact that had on oil price is is well known. Yeah. So should we talk about energy funds because that's yeah. investing in energy did well. I think that's a good list. I mean, there there are, there are lots of uh, lenses for which to view this topic, really. Um, but one is, as you say, uh, oil prices were already going up. Uh, as global demand recovered after the pandemic and uh, Russia invading Ukraine and uncertainty over what that would mean for supply, uh, you know, really lit the fire under that. And particularly uh, with natural gas prices, uh, which in Europe have at points reached uh, extraordinary levels. Uh, And if we look at how that's translated into fund performance, um, you know, we've got the oil and gas sector. Uh, There are specialized funds which invest in this. and, And of course, it's a popular area of value fund managers as well. Um, I mean, we should we should caveat this by saying, you know, this comes after many years of bad performance for the shares of these companies. Uh, and of course, at one point during 2020, oil or, or US benchmark oil even went below zero. Um, so this is just how volatile it can be. But uh, to reel off what, what this year has meant in performance terms, uh, BlackRock World Energy, so a specialist investing in these oil and gas shares, up 68%. Uh, or Guinness Global Energy, another quite well-established fund, which does the same thing, up 55%. Uh, and, uh, well, not to the same extent, but clean energy funds, uh, which invest in things like wind turbine, uh, wind turbine manufacturers and things like that, have also been quite a good area at points. Um, now, what's it meant on the investment trust side, Gavin? Uh, because, because maybe 
you know, there, there aren't quite these, well, there are a couple of specialist funds, but actually it's more about renewable energy, renewable energy infrastructure, isn't it? Well, it is, and I'll, 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 I'll come on to that uh, shortly, but actually I can um, match some of the names you mentioned with their investment oh, trust equivalent. So, yeah, if you're looking at the uh, Numis do this, uh, Numis Securities, the broker, uh, publish a useful list, or they all do actually, a useful list of um, sort of risers and fallers, and year to date, um, yeah, top 15 risers, you know, is listed with a few... Um, uh, energy and resources funds. Riverstone Energy uh, up forty-eight uh, percent. BlackRock Energy and Resources, um, which is a in really interesting fund. It's sort of playing both sides of the energy transition, investing in yeah, very um, traditional energy companies that are you know trying to um, uh, embark on the transition, but are also benefiting benefiting from this uh, huge um, surge in, the, in, in on oil and gas prices. Because the interesting thing that they're always flagging up is that. Yes, we need, the world desperately needs to move away from carbon fuels if we're going to do anything about climate change and the catastrophes that, that can cause. But um, all we've done so far is really reduce supply. Uh, we haven't done anything about the demand, i.e. as consumers, we're still using the stuff. So that, well, that pushes up the price. So as investors, you know, they're, they're, they're playing both sides. Uh, they are investing in clean energy, but they're also still very much investing in, uh, in the old stuff. And, uh, and the returns um, kind of show up the benefit of that approach. Well, it, it's quite a challenging and uncomfortable topic, really, isn't it? Because I think in the UK, actually, um, you know, we've made, compared to some parts of the world, the US, relatively good strides um, with rolling out renewable energy. Uh, but as, as we've seen this year, uh, the intermittent nature of renewable energy um, and lots of other factors mean it's actually natural gas uh, which still sets the electricity price in the UK, um, which, which is rather incredible, isn't it? And has had quite incredible effects. I mean, yeah, I'm no energy expert, but it is quite incredible. And it is something that the, you know, it is, and, uh, the government's looking at and will be reformed and hopefully something will be done about that. Because, yeah, from a kind of uh, you know, punter's point of view, um, renewable energy... Uh, it seems exactly the opposite of what... what should you should be kind of happen. free once you get down to it, once, you know, all the setup costs and everything are arrayed. It should be why it's then linked to... Um, carbon energy, I can't really um, fathom. But but, trying to be positive, <laughs> one of the extraordinary things about this year is, as you said, uh, the renewable funds, those investment companies listed on the London Exchange, investing in renewable infrastructure, so investing in solar power, wind power, but also battery storage. Those, particularly the battery storage funds, did really, really well. But there was a lot of controversy about this because they essentially, they're benefiting from um, high gas prices and, and so they were selling so those funds you know it wasn't that it wasn't that all the renewable funds were sort of cashing in massively many of these funds actually enter into fixed price contracts they're selling their you know forward selling their energy at an agreed price so they're not necessarily benefiting from these massive hikes in the wholesale price but one or two were and generally all of them did you know did benefit from from the increase in the price so pick out a few names uh oh, Gresham House Energy storage and Harmony Energy Income are the two top performers of my list with uh, 25% and uh, yeah, 30, 33%. Actually, they're, they're extraordinary figures, aren't they? I mean, we, you know, we well, need to reiterate these are people that own these are no, fixed assets. This is like infrastructure, right? Yeah, these are supposed, these are kind of like alternative uh, bond funds in a way. You know, um, they're about the income, they're alternative income. They're not investing in equities, quite the opposite. They're investing in infrastructure, but um, steady cash generation, income generation is what they're about, not about huge 
um, returns in capital. But um, the battery funds and the others have kind of proved that wrong this year. Uh, it has been an exceptional year, and you can't really expect that to keep on carrying on. Also, of course, of course, you know, this didn't go out to political uh, a, a notice. Because returns And the budget, uh, not the mini budget, the actual autumn statement um, with Jeremy Hunt as chancellor, uh, did impose a windfall tax uh, of 45% on you know excessive profit so it's set a price um and uk uh, electricity uh, pays a 45 percent uh, tax on, on that and it hasn't been you know the renewable fund sector uh isn't wild about that it's got to be said but it hasn't knocked the share prices as much as you think they were already um under the cost a little bit having done so well people saw that some kind of windfall tax was coming there's people still working out what the uh, exposure is, but initially it doesn't seem too bad. It's uh, partly because a lot of these funds have got fixed price contracts anyway. Secondly, it depends on what power price assumptions they had in their forecasts. And the lower they are, basically, the better they will be able to deal with a windfall tax. Right. But it's kind of, well, you know, a number of them made statements immediately after the budget to say, actually, you know, um, this isn't too bad. There is a hit, but quite often it's offset by things like their inflation forecast. So inflation, they're doing well. Their money they make on their contracts is also linked to inflation. So although they're taking a knock on the windfall tax, they are making money on it in the inflation side of things. So you wrap it all up. It hasn't been a huge impact, but we'll kind of wait and see. There may be more updates uh, at the end of the year or into early next year. Well, Gavin, I'm going to jump on what you've just said and use it as an opportunity to segue into the next thing I think we wanted to talk about. I mean, what you've just been saying about the renewable funds there, I think holds for lots of these alternative income areas. It's complicated. And, uh, you know, versus traditional fixed income, which shouldn't be that complicated. But you, you, you mentioned the uh, the mini budget. Uh, it was, I think it was the 23rd of September, if I remember rightly. I mean, can we just touch on, on that quickly and just how extraordinary the effects were? Oh, the, the ill-fated the mini budget. budget. It's a so-called mini buddy. The uh, short-lived uh, trust regime and uh, Quasi Quateng's uh, statement. Yes, that um, unaudited uh, announcement of uh, tax cuts um, sent markets into a spin. Forty-five so. billion pounds of unfunded tax cuts. I think it was initially. So UK's credit rating takes uh, a hit. Um, the gilt markets, those government bonds, uh, took a hit, and. As we've sort of highlighted already, yeah. extraordinary losses on what have traditionally been yeah, traditional, safe um, UK government bonds have fallen massively. And, you know, that had been going on all year because interest rates are going up and, you know, yes. guilt and government bonds don't like rising interest rates. But the chaos, frankly, caused by that announcement, that unexpected announcement, caused those losses to, uh, you know, they, they slumped. There was a massive slump right. in uh, the government bond market. It had uh, an unexpected effect on pension funds, on liability-driven investments. There's a lot of news about that. Yeah, they, yeah. they had to uh, dump their assets, and they were in a bad place and needed bailing out. So it took a Bank of England intervention. Indeed, a terrible mess. I mean, I'll, I'll, reel, off, I'll reel off a quick stat here about just how uh, incredible the effect was. So the yeah. 30-year gilt yield uh, at one point in the wake of the the, the so-called mini budget rose 150 basis points, so 1.5%. Uh, to more than five percent over just three days. I mean, that that's a move that you know should never happen. Uh, it, I think it's it's fair to say it's almost comparable to the financial crisis in that you know 
it's the sort of thing that the models uh, that these pension funds would have used just didn't account for. So as you and as you know, as yields go up, the prices are going down. Indeed. So these were really big falls, and um, also government gilts are a benchmark asset. They seem, you know, they're supposed to represent kind of risk-free return. So lots of other things are priced off them, particularly property. You know, property, real estate is about the yield, the income you get from rent. Yeah. So uh, obviously, uh, investing in commercial property, it may be solid, but it's not as safe as uh, lending to the UK government, or at least in theory. So the yields that that asset class will offer will be higher than the the government uh, bond one. And and indeed, I'll I'll jump in quickly here and say, uh, well, according, according to my research, I've actually forgotten which index it is, hmm. but uh, UK properties, I think we could say UK commercial property, down thirty one point six percent this year. Actually, it's probably that's probably listed property, but anyway, it's a huge fall. It's a huge fall because uh, it basically the, the chaos in the the bond market, the gilts market, was then as a knock on effect to you know really top top down sort of level macro kind of level. It's not really a comment so much on the individual buildings. Of course, there are you know huge issues around working from home and the you know the the um, prospects uh, for uh, you know the office sector or residential property, not that commercial property funds invest in that, but there's, you know, there's, there's huge questions to ask about individual properties, uh, depending on where they're situated, um, in terms of demand, in terms of the recession, but just on a very top-down level, you know, if government bonds fall and their yields shoot up, well, then it has an instant effect on property and the funds and yes. investing in them. And maybe we, we can then come on to, uh, of course, I think, we, well, I was, we've been speaking quite a lot about equity funds other than the Renewable uh, Infrastructure Trust, uh, but of course, you know, a really important sector is, is balance funds, capital preservation funds, uh, funds which use a mix of assets uh, in, in in order basically, you know, the promise is that, that they, they can grow investors' wealth while protecting from the worst of the downsides. Now, the investment trust sector has a small but quite, quite varied interesting group of these funds. I mean, how, how have they been getting on this year? Yeah, um Broadly, well, you know, in the, in the context of some of these big double-digit or more falls in the indices and stock markets we've been talking yes. about, then, uh, yeah, on investment trusts, you're kind of it's like three strong wealth preservation funds, personal assets, capital gearing, and rougher. And, um, you know, they've all, they've all done pretty well. Personal assets and capital gearing do look to be heading for a, a small loss this year, around 2 to 3%, which, you know, they won't be pleased about. Um, it doesn't happen very often. Um, but uh, but there you go. They were both, you know, uh, caught up in the volatility around the mini budget and um, didn't like that one bit. Although it did obviously provide them with buying opportunities. Um, their rival, Ruffer, has done better. Is up seven percent at the moment. So uh, it's kind of won the uh, capital preservation uh, contest for this year. But interesting. But but I'm so glad. I just noticed before we came on air. Um, can't talk about this without mentioning the BH Macro Hedge Fund. Not. Totally comparable with um, the likes of personal assets and capital gearing that I just mentioned, but a very um, but a hedge fund that's trading in currencies, trading in bond futures, you know, pretty complicated stuff. Opaque. Yeah, yes, indeed, that's a good way to describe it. But its aim is capital preservation. It wants to move in the opposite direction to markets, and um, whatever those people, whatever they're doing at Brevin Howard. You know, the shares are up 23%. It had a very good uh, pandemic. And so that's kind of, you know, in a difficult year, it's once again shone as a fund that can make money when markets are falling. Yes. Um, any fund equivalents like that? 
Well, there are there are indeed, uh, you know, how, how widely invested our listeners will be in them, I'm not sure. But for example, picking out the, uh, the returning to our best funds of the year list, uh, AQR, uh, a, a US firm, uh, I think it's, its approach is kind of a trend following. It's often called, you know, in the same kind of bucket as Brevin Howard. I'm sure they do very different things. But for example, AQR systematic total return up 28% uh, in, uh, in the year to November. So, uh, of course, some of these... Um, absolute return or, or I shouldn't have so but you know some of these alternative areas you know have performed very well with these kind of hedge fund strategies after you know I, I think it might be worth saying for those funds anyway uh, a few difficult years yeah um but something I'd like to come on to actually is um uh you know on the balance funds I mean the class the classic model that lots of lots of these kinds of funds use has been the 60 40 portfolio 60 percent in equity and 40 percent in bonds and for many years, uh, for many decades, this has delivered great returns. Uh, and this year, I think it's fair to say it's it's after a long time predicting that it would, it, it's rather come off the rails. Because the bond side has totally collapsed. Because the bond side has totally collapsed. And a good wind, in, don't, window into that is the very popular Vanguard life strategy range. Uh, so these are funds run by Vanguard, Passive Giant, which used a fixed uh, equity alloc allocation and then a fixed bond allocation. And they do some tinkering behind the scenes, but basically they, they invest in tracker funds that allocation, and they promise they're going to stick to it. And it's been a painful year for for these funds. Uh, I mean, so for example, the sixty percent equity fund, uh, if I can find it, uh, actually hasn't done. Uh, actually, I'm struggling to find it in my documents now. So we'll talk about the twenty percent and the forty percent fund. But anyway, the, the key point is the more bonds they own, so in theory, the safer they should be. We used to think. Uh, actually, the worst they've done. So Vanguard Life Strategy 20% equity uh, down about 15% this year uh, versus kind of peer group down more like 10.7%, uh, and the 40% equity down 12.5%. So for funds which people maybe thought were self were safe as houses, quite bad losses. Uh, and then we can compare that. They also run a, a Vanguard Life Strategy 100% equity fund, which, as it suggests, is just invested in tracker funds. Uh, and so that is down only 4.7% for sterling investors. So again, you know, the pound's weakness kind of cushioning the losses in global markets. Now, you know, this is a fund range which, which has had massive inflows um, in recent years. For example, the 60% uh, Vanguard Life Strategy, 6% equity has taken in 6 billion over the last three years. So, I mean, perhaps in a, in a way, uh, the worst of the damage is already done. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with, with uh, those kinds of balanced funds and funds which espouse that traditional split between shares and bonds. Next well, year. it's going to make people presumably a bit more circumspect about them in, in the future. It's not that they necessarily, you know, you write them off, but, Indeed. you know, anything, you know, events can conspire to knock any investment approach, investment fund. And uh, these kind of balanced funds wouldn't have expected to have that kind of drawdown, that kind of fall. No. But now we've seen that they can. Of course, Looking forward, I mean, yeah. you, you would hope people weren't too badly exposed to that. You know, didn't have all their pension, for example, uh, in it, because otherwise that has, um, you know, big personal implications, you know, defer your retirement or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but looking forward, I mean, bonds had have had a terrible year, mm. but are actually now looking forward, looking a bit more sensible because the problem with them was after years of money printing back, Central banks like the Bank of England and the U.S. Federal Reserve pumping out, you know, electronically created iffy money to buy up 
for bonds, pushing up their price, pushing up all asset prices, and effectively, and that's what led partly to the bubble that we had at the end of last year, which has come unwound this year. But um, so bonds rose up in value, and and, and their yields weren't very good. And in fact, often, they, yeah, their yields have been below inflation. Yes. So you are, you know, guaranteed to lose kind of money. Well, I think that's, that's changing. Now yes. we've got some real yields on um, bonds, and maybe that will support their price and their investment attractiveness going forward. Well, I think that's one of the interesting things. You know, often people overreact to to what's just happened. And, um, you know, here we are saying, or oh, 64 portfolio on shaky territory, uh, blah, blah, well, I mean, you, blah, you, blah, blah. You can't, you can't, you know, you don't want to talk away the problem totally. I mean, no. we started off talking about Scottish Mortgage and we're both in there. You know, how long is it going to take for that fund or any of these other funds, big losses, to, you know, repair those losses? Well, I think that is some time. No, no. But I think, you know, what some of these active, um, uh, you know, active uh, allocation or balance fund managers uh, have, have been talking about and indeed, uh, you know, bond fund managers have been saying is now, uh, as you said, there really is a lot better value in the bond market. I mean, you know, uh, I haven't got the figures for me, but um, as, as you say, you, you can find bonds which actually are produce it, you know, have a have a pretty high yield, um, you know, investment grade yields, you know, well above five percent uh, in some cases, and still that is below inflation, but it's much more attractive than it was. Uh, and if you if you think uh, inflation is going to come down, uh, then yeah, it, it, you know, that that could be the way to go. Well, on on that sort of thinking then shall we begin to you know wrap up and yuck about yeah the outlook and you know areas that we think can look interesting you know this is not uh you know investment advice no it is not but just sort of things that occur to us as we were sort of uh, you know looking around and and reporting on things um well i i have to admit gavin i'm slightly struggle with this one it's, it's a difficult environment uh i mean for, for me you know i i, I think um it's it's easy to be worried about equities uh, with, with a recession coming, um, and, and I suppose you know just how bad do you think that rece- recession will be uh, is an open question. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you think about that. Well, exactly, that's the big unknown. If it's a mild recession, and you know unemployment in the UK is, is still currently low, um, obviously there's huge cost of living crisis going on with inflation, but um, and you know, you know corporate profits are going to fall and. You know, it could be bad. It could be a deep recession, but it might not be. <laughs> that it might be more of a milder one. If it's a milder one, then I think there is a case for starting to look where the recovery could come. And in mm-hmm. fact, we started to see the recovery in in investment trusts that I look at are good because, in a way, because they kind of share price. They sell off too much and go to do big discounts. That's right. They they fall below their asset value or a discount on when the things are out of favour and when things are in favour, they can make they're closer to asset value or they even rise to premiums above it. So you can see, there's, you know, they indicate sentiment quite nicely. So we've, so, we've got a broad brushstrokes. Where, where do you think so that's interesting? You know, UK smaller companies, UK mid-caps, you know, these, this is, you know, we've already said since 2016, since the Brexit referendum, UK stock market's been unloved. Um, it's been another difficult year. But, you know, the fund map, so these investment trusts are, have, have fallen very heavily. You know, 20, 30% falls this year is not uncommon. They're on big double-digit discounts. But the fund managers are saying, you know, these are good companies, not all of them exposed. Uh, you know, they're investing in good companies. They would say that, of course, but they're not necessarily exposed to the UK economy. They might be more global specialists. And um, and you've seen that the shares actually start to re- to recover quite nicely in the past four to six weeks. So, you know, one of the big debates we haven't really touched on, but it's like value versus growth. Yeah. I and mean, the growth sell off values done very, uh, very well. So I would 
I'm wondering whether something like Aberforth Smaller, now Aberforth's a very respected, uh, long-standing specialist in UK smaller companies, got a very uh, committed value stance, i.e. buying companies when they're out of favour. Um, it's, it's had a good year, relatively good year. 8% share price for all is, is, is actually good. It's an 11% discount. I'm wondering, you know, if that could become a positive return next year. Then on the growth side, there's something like Henderson, sport for choice in sectors like this. Yeah. But, you know, a more gro much more growthy style from Henderson smaller companies uh, managed by Neil Herman. 32% fall. That's nasty. But, you know, do this year's losers become next year's winners? You know, 32% fall, 10% discount. I think that's interesting. And then property and kind of near bonds, I would have quickly flag up. Property has had a terrible time, particularly since the, the mini budget. Interest, very interest rate sensitive. Um, but if we're not going into a deep recession, then I think some of those discounts and high yields are um, really attractive, particularly the UK generalists that don't specialize in one sector. So logistics has been very hot. There's been, you know, the specialist funds have, have done very well for the past few years. Perhaps it's the time of the more balanced funds invest in a range of different sectors within the UK. So Picton Property Income, Schroeder Real Estate, you take your pick. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting sector uh, and shares on, on big discounts. And then lastly, I'd flag up some of these alternative income um, funds, uh, investment companies investing in infrastructure or bonds related to infrastructure um, or doing specialist things. You know, one of my favorites is something called Biopharma Pharmaceutical Credit. So it lends to drug companies in the US. Uh, it's not a massive discount. It's not had a terrible year. 3% discount, but it's offering a 12% yield because it's been it's paying a special dividend. Um, it's really generating loads of cash. I don't think people fully appreciate it. Then there's something called Sequoia Economic Infrastructure Income. Again, 7% yield and, and on a discount. I mean, it's had its um, mishaps. Um, it was investing in bulb energy and uh, or lending to it rather. And, you know, it's had to do some write downs. It hasn't been, a, you know, a, be totally unscathed. None of these funds have. But the question is, is it in the price? And I think there are some very interesting yields in it and its rivals. And I think um, that's that's my thoughts for now. Very say, interesting. Not, just just ideas, not, um, not advice. Uh, very interesting, Gavin. Well, I'm going to be a bit more tight lipped than you about uh, specific funds, to, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I've also been thinking that um, that that kind of small cap value area actually it has had a a, a good year, um, but uh, I've also been think I've been wondering you know m maybe that's an area to continue to stick with uh, next year. But you know for example uh, I spoke to Richard Penny, uh, a fund manager at Crux yesterday, who's just launched a a, small, a smaller company's fund. Uh, you know his special situations fund, for example, has done very well this year. Uh, you know buying into some of these um, slightly unloved sectors where there's been a recovery and you know he would argue sort of worries are overdone um and uh yeah i think that could be an interesting area to watch not just in the uk but say with someone like ollie beckett in europe as well uh who, who won a won an award uh for his trust uh at our, our recent investment trust awards uh the other area I, I would just mention again with no specific funds is i wonder if emerging markets looks quite interesting I mean, it, it's it's been hit by the strong dollar this year. China's a massive part of the index. Uh, and, you know, there's been, well, big problems caused by zero COVID policy uh, and other things like that. That looks like it could be starting to change. Now, Chinese stocks have already seen 
quite a big bounce, but but I wonder if there could be good opportunities in emerging markets next year. Good idea. That's very topical, and I think you, you've got a point. Well, um, I think we've left the the, the audience, uh, the, the listeners, with some some ideas there. It's early December. We're still sort of uh, wading through. We're the trying to get our heads around it ourselves. Exactly. But I think there's a few ideas, and um, well, let's hope 2023 proves to be uh, well calmer and kinder than uh, 2022. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank Good you, Gavin. Let's do this again sometime. <laughs> I hope so. 